Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. We are continuing our discussion of the Gospel of Thomas, number 23, um, that we had on our video show earlier. But now we get to be joined by Father Tony as well as Brother Jonathan. Greetings, everyone. Greetings. How are you? Hello. Hello, bishops. Hello, Father. Hello, Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah, you guys, our audience, uh, this is why you need to become Patreon uh, subscribers. So yes. you can So you can see uh, uh, Jonathan in his wonderful Captain Kirk outfit when he wears it. Yes. We, we enjoy it's it. Not very the much. new weird Captain Kirk that's all, like, young looking. No. Yeah. The original <laughs> Captain Kirk. Yes. Who I believe, uh, I believe William Shatner is Canadian. He is. He yes. is. All right. So authenticity as well. So are you required as a Canadian to own that outfit? This is this is one of the uh, the seven uh, outfits that's allowed, and oh, you have one per day. Uh, so it just happens that I show up wearing it every Wednesday because it's, <laughs> uh, it's the outfit for that day. It's in the rotation. It's in the rotation. <laughs> uh, we're off to a great start, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we sure How are. About- how about that free podcast? Although you support a free podcast. How about that? All right, we probably should get down to business here. I think. Okay. Somebody okay. has to get us on track. <laughs> okay, um, I'm just going to reread the logion for those who haven't uh, watched or heard the the talk gnosis uh, video show. Um, logion goes like this: it's, it's Gospel of Thomas 23. Jesus said, I shall choose you one out of a thousand and two out of ten thousand, and they shall stand as a single one. And as we discussed, we touched on in the video show, um, this is an interesting logion because it has its parallels in other Gnostic literature, mm-hmm. namely uh, Basilides as well as Pistis Sophia. Uh, in addition, there is a similar uh, a similar verse um, in the um, in the canonical Gospels in Matthew, where Jesus talks about many are called, but a few are chosen. I wanted so, to throw another one in there, actually, from Matthew: the um, uh, enter through the, uh, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and uh, many enter through it. I think that's, if not exactly the same sentiment, I think it's. It's in this vein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, you know, we, we discussed a number of things during the show. For one thing, um, we pointed out that there isn't a criteria being given for how somebody is chosen. Is this being chosen for quote-unquote salvation or for initiation into higher levels of teaching? Or is it a specific kind of vocation or work? We don't necessarily have that information, but that's something to work with. We also discussed, they touched on the issue of Gnostic elitism, which we've discussed several times on Talk Gnosis. Um, the idea is, are Gnostics essentially an elitist religion that do not does not really have much to offer the common everyday man or woman? Um, or is this, is, it, is this passage anti-elitist in the sense that it says, hey, you're getting chosen, it's nothing that you've done to be chosen, which is the way uh, John Calvin understood the doctrine of predestination. He saw it as being in something that would reinforce humility in Christians. Um, so those are some of the things that we touched on during the video show, and I know that Father and uh, Jonathan may have some ideas to, to uh, share with us tonight, so I say have at it. Well, uh, Jonathan, why don't you go first, because I have things that might, uh, might make people angry. 
<laughs> okay, well, I'll go first in that the um, uh, we already talked about the parallels to uh, uh, to the Bible that uh, that two billion Christians uh, use. Uh, that's an awful lot of uh, awful lot of Christians. Um, the I think sort of the elitism, uh, uh, straight off, it does perhaps sound a little bit elitist. Uh, but uh, but again, there's parallels in the uh, in the Bible, and I bet you could find probably similar sayings uh, about about few being uh, about only a few being chosen in, in every major world religion. And I think that has to do with you know the the spiritual path is 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 a tough one. Um, and uh, what I do find really interesting is the uh, is actually how it ends which kind of varies depending on the, the translation um, you know we have we have I have three translations in front of me but uh, there is a language of uh, you know those being chosen will be lifted up um, the, uh, perhaps that's uh, a reference to um, the ascent uh, uh, ideas that are apparently throughout the Gospel of Thomas, according to a, uh, a book by a renowned scholar. Uh, Gospel of Thomas does talk uh, about, uh, about Gnostic ascent, getting, getting back to uh, the plural or to the one while in this life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also like, you know, what I find really juicy is, is, is the ending as well. So, you know, who, who I've chosen to be lifted up. And then uh, there'll be one... Uh, they'll stand at rest by being one and the same, and then they shall stand as a single one. Those mm -hmm. are three translations there. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that might be, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a pretty nifty and profound saying that that might be pointing to this, uh, this kind of, uh, you do this Gnostic ascent, you, uh, you ascend up. Uh, and uh, and you achieve unity with uh, with the people uh, that have gone before you, and then with the uh, with the Godhead, with, with the divine one. So that's mm -hmm. that's a possible interpretation that that I have. Mm -hmm. uh, that that that's what that is is pointing to is that uh, you know if you're chosen, you can ascend and you can uh, you can unite in some mysterious fashion. Yeah, I think you know. Again, it's interesting you bring that up. Uh, you know, I had talked a little little bit uh, during our video show, even this sort of about like this idea of like a singularity, and and you know, I think even in um, kind of even in mainstream Christianity, I think we see kind of hints and glimmers of that. I mean, even within the Nicene Creed, I mean, you know, we get ideas: God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Through him, all things were made. Um, this idea of this one entity uh, uh, um, from which all things are begotten. Again, uh, going back to the first council of Nicaea and within his creed, you know, being of one substance with the Father. Um, so, you know, is it kind of pointing to this singularity, this idea of everything kind of returning to the one? Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this kind of idea brought up by a uh, Jesuit, uh, a French Jesuit, uh, this idea of called the Omega Point. I, I haven't heard of that. You have not? No. Oh, okay. Um, but this idea of the Omega Point... Um, um, is basically just uh, part of his philosophy of basically a maximum level of complexity and consciousness, which he basically believed that the universe was evolving towards. Um, but again, that all started from this singularity. So oh, now, you know, okay, 
I've got one chosen, <laughs> another one, but, uh, you know, it's kind of this ever-expandiness, you know. So, again, you almost have kind of the idea of the point and a circle, you know, surrounding it. You've got that infinitely small and that ever-expanding, you know, that keeps expanding outward into infinity. So, um, yeah, I, I find a lot of, you know, just complex, even for such a short little, you know, verse. It's one of these things that I think, you know, one can spend a, a long time just kind of meditating on. Yeah. Well, I will jump in here and I will defend the Gnostic elite. <laughs> you go right ahead, Father, Father Tony. Tony. Somebody has to. Of the Gnostic elite. I am the Gnostic orthodoxy and everybody has to do what I say. Um, <laughs> At least on this show. <laughs> yeah. If that were true in the real world. Gosh, that would be <laughs> That'd be, be awesome for you. <laughs> no, that's a lot of pressure. Jeez, I don't want that. Um uh, so you'll take all the chicks, though, won't you? <laughs> yeah, because that's working out terrifically for me so far. <laughs> uh, that's why everybody joins the priesthood, right? For the chicks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, um, so I, I'll preface this by saying that I, I think that what ends up happening in a, in a practical sense is this kind of self-selecting elitism, right? And I and mm -hmm. I don't think that's any different than any other religion and you know like you mentioned before bishop canterbury that there's you know the kind of a that all all of the religions you could you could say are elitist in that um you know we do this one thing and you do this other thing and so therefore we are the elite who do this thing and you are the i guess other elite who do something else <laughs> so you know if you prefer to define the term that broadly i think that there's a there's a way you could you could say that Gnostics are elitist and still be pretty friendly about it. On the other hand, <laughs> I think that there is um, there's a very specific way in which I think that people who are drawn to Gnosticism are drawn to Gnosticism. I think it's almost universally true that there's kind of this inkling that the world isn't exactly right or, you know, the world is pretty awful in general and why is it like that and you know you just start thinking about you know so somewhere along that scale of you know i don't i don't feel like this is exactly right or you know my life is terrible and there must be a good reason for that right um but you don't have to be and i, I use i use i can use the example of myself that you know i don't have a particularly hard life and i've never had any real hardship in my life and i'm, I'm a fairly comfortable you know, middle-class American who, uh, you know, doesn't really need anything and, and I'm, I'm doing all right, but still I have that in the back of my head that the world is just not quite right. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't think most people have that. Uh, or if they do, they don't really give it any attention. Uh, so I think that those of us who do, and those of us who have those who approach the world in that way, I think we do so from an outside source. I think that is a, a, an actual being chosen kind of a relationship. Um, so I do think that there is an elitism in Gnosticism. I think that the people who can go around the world and say, I'm perfectly happy with reality exactly as it is, and I'm comfortable with the world, and I've been... Uh, I've been doing it this way my entire life, and I have no, I have no compelling need to think about it any deeper than that. And I think that that's most everybody. 
mm-hmm. um, and then I think that there are those of us who who want to think deeper about it and who want to find out exactly why we have this feeling that things are things are weird and potentially bad and and I think Gnosticism is the reason that we do that you know and I think and I, I do honestly believe that comes from an outside source okay that's fair that's fair. Do you think, let me ask you, do you think that um, some people might have a genetic predisposition to being more sensitive to the outside force or that there are certain things that makes that could make a person more able to respond to the outside source? Uh, no, I don't think it's genetic. I think it's probably cultural. Okay. Um, as, as I've said before, it's hard to think about things of the spirit if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. So if you're in that kind of a situation or in a country that's, you know, ravaged by war and oppression or, you know, you just, you know, you, you're, you don't have a job and you don't know what, what you're going to do with your life or that kind of thing, those, those kinds of worldly things are mm-hmm. antithetical to Gnosticism in a kind of deeper way. I think you can wonder about those things, but I don't think you can take the next step. Well, can I interrupt you there for a second, Father mm-hmm. Tony? I, uh, I guess my only argument to, to that, saying it's culture, uh, cultural and yeah, and basically, you know, if you're kind of worried about where your next meal is, well, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I think since the, kind of the beginning of time before we got so caught up in so many things and, you know, I must have, you know, 2.5 kids and live in this type of house and this type of neighborhood and have this type of job. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there have been spiritual people since the beginning of time. And I don't think that necessarily it's limited to one particular race or culture and no, 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 that, no, you know, not- we can see primitive cultures all over the world i mean whether we're talking primitive peoples in south america in africa in uh, in uh, many of the countries in asia okay, very so that's, primitive people right okay so that's kind of that's not what i'm saying so, okay. <laughs> okay. so maybe the word culture cultural was the wrong word there because i i don't think that you know quote unquote primitive people mm-hmm. uh, are in that kind of that kind of boat all the time i mean if you look at what would traditionally be considered a, a uh, you know, a primitive culture, right? Um, take some, some tribe of people in, in South America, for example, mm-hmm. in, in the jungles in South America. They don't have iPhones and they don't have, uh, they, you know, they don't buy BMWs, but they don't necessarily live a hard life. They don't wonder where their next meal is coming from. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Or they're, they're not currently... At war with, you know, Russia, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe, so I guess cultural was the wrong word there. I think maybe situational might be a better word. Okay. Yeah, I, I think everybody, everybody in the universe at some point 
has the scratch, right? There's there's the itch at the back of the mind saying that things aren't right, and, and for whatever reason, some people scratch it. You know, Gnostics and others. You know, I honestly do. You think believe, everybody does, though? I mean, I I think everybody does, but not everybody listens to it. Obviously, the vast majority don't. I, I think sometimes at two a.m., you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're staring at the ceiling. This is sounding really personal. But this, is, <laughs> this is acting an imaginary story, but um, but you know, it, it happens to lots of people in uh, rich, poor, uh, no matter what their circumstances. You know, they wake up in the middle of the night, they stare at the ceiling, and they they just know that something's wrong, right? And the majority of people kind of roll over, go back to sleep, and mm-hmm. go up, well, right. get up. And, but yeah. I guess that's that's kind of what I'm saying is that if you don't feel the the compulsion to take that next step after you've wondered what's wrong. You know, I think that's where the choosing comes in. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right there. See, I, I can't bridge. I don't know what what it is that what 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 brings to the next step, and and that's probably the choosing, right? Why why you go scratch that itch instead of instead of ignoring it? Okay. Sorry, Bishop. Yeah, Lainey, or I interrupted you. I actually just interrupted you again. Free podcast. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I think my, my concern is is um, some people who are highly oppressed, uh, I'm thinking about people in Haiti, have come up with incredible, uh, have developed and practiced incredibly complex religious systems. Um, no, yeah, but, okay. And which in many cases do are highly personal. That involve uh, that involve possession and, and involve a really heady interactions with with deities, and um, it may not look like what we do, um, but in point of fact, it's it, it's a it's it's a pretty direct religious religious practice. It reflects in many cases the severe oppression that these people. Have have had to deal with, um, but it all and it reflects their response to that because in many cases they're living in a very real form of hell and they're acutely aware of just how bad the world is. It's not going to look like the brand of Gnosticism that we talk about on this show often, but I'm I'm not I'm not willing to the, to exclude them uh, from so, the chosen. Uh, mm, so are you saying that? Voodoo and the other kind of African diaspora traditions are Gnosticism? I am saying that there is Gnosis found in them. I'm not saying that they are Gnosticism in the same sense as, as classical Gnosticism, but I'm saying that I believe that Gnosis is definitely something that one can uh, achieve in those systems, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, Gnosis is something you can achieve in the laundromat as well. It is. <laughs> but my my definition of Gnosticism is a tradition that places Gnosis as its first priority. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. And, you know, somebody who practices some of these traditions certainly chime in and let me know, but I'm, I haven't seen that those traditions do that. Um, perhaps not, you know, perhaps not, but perhaps there's also a very real desire to commune with the gods and, and, the, and the spirits who can help one uh, throughout that day. There's a desire to know the, the, those gods and those spirits. I, I'm using this as, as an example. Yeah. Because I, because I understand that you're talking about, you're talking about, I believe, classical Gnosticism. Not necessarily. Um, no, I, I mean, certainly the things that look like classical Gnosticism um, 
and throughout, you know, so the classical Gnostics, the middle Gnostics, you know, the Paulicians and the Bogomils and the Cathars and, and uh, you know, traditions today that, that focus on Gnosis, you know, that, mm-hmm. that say, here's the very specific kind of knowledge that we're talking about that is salvific um, and, you know, leads to, uh, ultimately, if you're doing it right, leads you to reunite with the Pleroma. Mm-hmm. And whatever language or whatever terms you use or whatever symbols you use to do that are irrelevant, but the pattern is the same. Mm-hmm. And you believe that that's something that's generally, well, I'm trying to understand it. Are you saying that that is generally limited to people who have certain privileges in terms of how they live? That has been my historical observation. Um, that, and, Obviously, there's always the exception that proves the rule, but I don't think that the traditions that grow up, the traditions that grow up around Gnosis have always been in affluent places. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or people who can afford to write things down. Uh, I don't think that the ability to write things down necessarily, because we know a lot about traditions that are largely oral in nature, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people encounter those traditions and then write about those traditions. And therefore, you know, we in the West get to know about them. Uh, so, so I'm not entirely sure that it's the writing down of it. I'm just saying that um, you, you're pointing out this sort of thing tends to congregate around affluent affluent cultures. And, and my, my what I wonder about that is, is it possible that these affluent cultures have the ability to afford papyrus or whatever writing tools, have the time to write things down, have the ability to have a, you know, support a certain class of scholars? Oh, I see. And so you're, you're saying like the, the mechanism of writing is integral to the development of the tradition? Like, Well, I'm saying that, that we, we know of, that, we, that you know of the, the development of these Gnostic traditions in Around, in around affluent cultures. And my question is, is the reason that you know about them because these cultures had the materials and money and time to preserve it in a way that y- we, we now know about them? Perhaps, but maybe I would take it one step further back, that maybe the, the ability to write, down, write them down and to have a class of people who, essentially a philosophical class of people who have the ability mm-hmm. to think deeply about these things all day and not have to worry about, uh, you know, going out into the field and farming because they have other people in their civilization that do that for them. Mm-hmm. That there, there is enough wealth in the society to allow for a life of leisure, quote unquote, uh, you know, and, and to develop these thoughts more deeply. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I, I understand what you're saying. I am not as willing to, I'm not will. I am not, I'm not saying even as willing, I'm saying I am not willing to dismiss the, uh, the acquisition of gnosis or the, or the desire for gnosis among people who don't have those luxuries, who instead, um, through their work, their community work, through their own experiences of oppression, may in fact um, be very, very connected 
to the divine and may, may be seeking that even as they are struggling for survival. I don't know that because, of course, these aren't the people who are usually writing things down. Mm-hmm. Or broadcasting things, and then they have their own societies and their own oral traditions, which they may not be all that willing to share with outsiders. And so that that I guess would be my caution: is I don't want to assume that just because I haven't heard from somebody or from a group of people um, that there isn't something very profound going on in their spirituality and in their connection with the divine. That's that that's that's I guess my concern. No, and I'm. I don't think I'm saying that either. I don't think that it's impossible for an individual to pursue a Gnostic path um, in adverse circumstances. I don't think that it's – I certainly don't think it's impossible. I think that it happens. But I don't think that that's – it's certainly not the norm and I don't think that's where the, the real development of the tradition comes from. Okay. Okay. What do you think then about – the relevance, I guess, of, of Gnosticism, that, that kind of Gnosticism that you're talking about that occurs when there is a quote-unquote leisure class or there's the money or the time to set people aside for this work. How stable is that religion? How stable is that, is that, is that Gnosis at that point? If it's something that relies on a very specific set of circumstances that the majority of the world cannot and has never been able to sustain um, see I don't think that's true I think that the okay. I think the majority of the world is in a stable set of circumstances under my definition of it I, I think that there's a <clears throat> so I think that society creates that kind of wealth disparity that mm-hmm. I'm talking about. So the the more advanced your society, the more likely you are to have that wealth disparity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the 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 cultures that don't concentrate as heavily on stuff like uh, the like the way America does are less likely to have extremely poor and extremely rich people, right? I mean, I think that's probably a given. Um and so there's no Yeah, I'm not a sociologist. <laughs> so <laughs> it's I don't know the words to use uh to explain what I'm trying to say, but um I, I don't know. Does that make any sense? I mean, so I think that the majority of the world um without the influence of the west uh, if you, you know, you had, and I, I'm not, I'm not vilifying the West. I'm just saying Western capitalism is one of the reasons why people don't have the time and the, uh, you know, and, and the, the leisure to think about things of the spirit in Gnostic terms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, you know, if you look at cultures that have not historically been capitalist, uh, then they are generally well they are by definition a bit more even across the board with less haves and have nots and more we're all in this together and therefore they have people who are able to think about these things okay i i guess the only thing is i would say is um and maybe you and i should probably talk about this later so uh (laughs) ken and jonathan can get a word in edgewise i'm just um 
I guess I remain puzzled, not puzzled, that, does, that sounds snarky, and I don't mean to sound snarky. Um, what I'm questioning is, is the, the, the validity or the use of a religion that requires a, an elite that is very, very distinct from, from other people around them to maintain and hold it. That, 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 that's right. my concern so there. I, I actually it have requires an answer for that. all these conditions, then my, my concern is what good is this religion? Right. My answer is it's not very good for most people. It's good for one in a thousand and two in ten thousand. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's kind of again where that elitism comes in. Mm -hmm. I don't think that. So, if we look at it in Sethian terms, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I, I was going to bring this up later, but this is a good segue into it. Um, uh, Sethians had what I kind of call qualified uh, universalism, right? So the the Sethians kind of divided the lower pleroma into four sections, and there was a section for the, there was a section essentially for Jesus or Seth, right? There was a section for the Gnostics, the elite, the you know that the one in ten thousand. There was a section for the Christians who were kind of ordinary Christians or ordinary spiritual people, I guess you'd say. And then there was another section for people who um, who didn't believe in anything or outwardly kind of rejected religion in general and but at the end of the day all of those people return to the pleroma at some point um mm -hmm. but their state when they were there w w was different and this is kind of my interpretation of it i don't think the text says this uh, say, say this outright there was also another group of people who outwardly kind of blasphemed against the holy spirit quote unquote that burned in a lake of fire for all eternity, you know, but that was a very small um, mm -hmm. percentage of the overall population. So if, but they also, the Sethians also believed in reincarnation. Mm -hmm. So if somebody went back to that, into that bucket of ordinary Christians, let's say, and then was reincarnated out of that bucket of ordinary Christian souls, they had the opportunity to, to then become that one in a thousand and two in 10,000. Now I don't, uh, you know, uh, I think that if we talk about these things in terms of linear time, you know what I'm saying? That you, mm -hmm. know, you have to be reincarnated in this stream of time that continues moving forward. I don't think that makes sense in that way. Or I don't know what a soul looks like when it's up in that pleroma and then when it comes back down. Does a soul inhabit uh, one body at a time? Does it inhabit multiple bodies over the course of all eternity? Um you know, there's a lot of questions that I don't have answers to, but I, I think that everybody is given that chance to be in that one of a thousand and two of ten thousand. I have nothing to base that on other than, you know, hope. <laughs> mm -hmm. okay. But I, but I do, I don't think you have to get it right in this lifetime. And I don't think, I, I think that uh, probably that percentage, two in ten thousand, that's probably the number of people who get it right in a given lifetime. Okay. Uh, Bishop Canterbury, Brother Jonathan, do you have anything to uh, to add to this discussion? Jonathan Canterbury? Oh. <laughs> Everybody's being so polite. I know. Okay, I'll go. Uh, I, I think, too, when you talk about some, the, uh, uh, like a saying like this, um, 
I, I'm sure it's also kind of generated out of the community's need because people looked around and they saw that there weren't many Gnostics. And uh, I think it is important to remember, but not over-exaggerate, that, that the Gnostics were, uh, in, in some ways, you know, persecuted and, and shut down. Now, in, in the first century, we don't really have any records of people, you know, throwing them on the fire, uh, like, say, of the later Cathars. But uh, uh, in other ways, and probably sometimes in subtle ways, they, they were probably uh, persecuted. Uh, and that could be financially, status-wise. Um, so uh, so that, that's why there wasn't many Gnostics. Um, and I'm sure saying like this kind of, kind of gives hope and a reason for it, you know. Uh, uh, you look around, and uh, you well, you know, the, the, there's a bunch of um, there's a bunch of Christians showing up at that church over there. But how come there's only you know five or six people here? Um, and uh, and a saying like this would uh, you know kind of gives a reason and kind of gives hope, right? Well, you know, you're chosen. Uh, yeah. Maybe now, kind of going back to the to the conversation that uh, that you and Father Tony were having, we were having it too. Uh, maybe maybe Gnosticism can flourish now that it's uh, it. it you know that uh, that it won't be uh, prosecuted or persecuted, and um, uh, you know uh, we, we've seen it even. Uh, you know, I used the Kafars, you know, who weren't strictly Gnostics, but you know they're in they're in the family. Um, yeah. But but you can see it even in the modern 20th century, right? The uh, in World War II, uh, you know, esotericists were persecuted uh, in the in in France and uh, Germany and uh, under the uh, the Nazi governments. And uh, today in the Middle East, the Mandians and the Yazidis, who are again kind of Gnostic cousins, um, uh, uh, don't have it too easy. But uh, perhaps in the, in the more liberal countries, uh, you know, the uh, um, it won't be as as a as elitist by default because it could be out in the open. Okay. Bishop Canterbury? Well, you know, I, I'll be honest, I was sitting here listening a lot to this uh, uh, back and forth with you and, you know, Father Tony for a while. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think we spent a lot of this focus, you know, uh, on this discussion tonight on elitism. Um, which is, I think, totally opposite of what I was originally talking about during <laughs> during the video show. You know, is that you know again, I you know um, you know I'm going to throw this back out there. You know, uh, you know I don't wasn't really as much focused upon the idea of kind of an elitism on this as um, as more of kind of you know the idea of. Um, you know, looking at the end part of the verse, I, I, I know I kind of have a habit of always looking at the end part kind of first. Um, you know, whom I have chosen will be lifted up being one. You know, kind of this, again, kind of all of us returning back to the state of the singularity. All of us being pulled back forth into, uh, into the pleroma. You know, and again, kind of moving away from the elitists, um, you know, I see, you know, this idea of being chosen, and this is, you know, my perception, you know, I'm not trying to put it on anyone, uh, but my perception of this is simply, uh, um, you know, I think we are all chosen at different times, at different ways that God manifests to us, speaks to us, and it is, uh, um, you know, maybe it's, at this particular moment of time, maybe it's in a future lifetime if you believe in reincarnation. But I think, um, you know, at some point we are all chosen. Uh, uh, maybe that path is narrow now. 
and few people hear that particular call. But I think that those of us who do, do hear that call, um, many of us do things like what we're doing. Is that we, we talk about this to try to make others awakened. You know, um, maybe something will spark in them that they feel kind of that awakening themselves. Um, one in a thousand, two in 10,000, you know, again, for me, you know, when I start looking at things like this, you know, uh, we were talking a little bit in between breaks of the shows, you know, Father Tony had uh, given us a link to uh, one of uh, his excellent things he was working on in um, English Kabbalah, but, you know, I start thinking of things, you know, like Kabbalah, you know, even if we take like the number one, you know, the number one, you know, uh, Aleph in a Hebrew, uh, um, can be one, it can be a thousand, you know, there's lots of mysteries within these verses that aren't just, you know, literal interpretations. And that's why I'm always kind of pointing out to our listeners, these things need to be thought about, meditated upon, you know, they're not to be taken literally. Um, you know, I think when we're talking about being chosen, any of the words in here, yeah. You know, we're not to take them necessarily in, in, on a literal basis, but what is being said in the deepest sense? What is being said by the Spirit to us in this? And I think what's really, for me, important for, for us as Gnostics to focus on more than than being elite, more than, um, than anything in this, is that knowing for ourselves that we have been chosen and... So now what are we going to do about it? Definitely. Um, and, and I do see there, there's some of those, um, those uh, uh, Thomas language and those Thomas themes. Uh, again, and you guys pointed this out during the video show, there's that language of standing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, stand up, you know, you, you'll be, if you're chosen, then, then you can, you, you should stand or you will stand. Um, so land at, land at, stand at rest. Yeah, stand at rest. Uh, which, uh, which is, uh, you know, th th those are like the, uh, the, the gospel Thomas drinking game, right? They take a shot <laughs> if you hear, if you hear at rest or, uh, uh, the phrase stand, uh, father Tony, do you see the, uh, the, the kind of talk about what, what Bishop Canterbury was saying, but you know, April deconic, I almost want to cross myself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the patron, the patron saint of this show. A father Tony at least. Yes. yes. The uh, uh, so you know she she talks about the the ascent mysticism uh, in the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, do you see this as as being sort of um, uh, in that uh, in that vein? Is this is this one of those ascent passages? I think it is. Uh, maybe not for the reason that you you think it is, because one of the translations, as we as we mentioned, <laughs> I know, right? One of the translations, as we mentioned, is has that language in it, right? That specifically that you will be raised up. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the but the other one is the one that I like a little bit better the the stand at rest because mm -hmm. uh, in another passage uh, in another logian that I I don't remember the number off the top of my head but the um, one of the password passages when uh, I, I believe it's something almost exactly like what is the sign of the Father in you it is a movement and a rest mm -hmm. And I think that's when we're talking about standing at rest. I think that I always think of that passage, and I always think that they're related. I, I think that the in the ascent, according to Deconic's uh, uh, book, that in that 
that part of the 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 gospel is kind of a transcription of the ritual um, where the initiate will be told, okay, you're going to go ascend through these spheres and you're going to be tested and you're going to need to know the passwords. And that's one of those passages that are, that is a password. You know, what is this? The question will be, what is the sign of the father in you? And the correct answer is it is a movement and arrest or it is in a movement and arrest or something like that. <clears throat> and so, I think this might be one of uh, a passage that is a teaching that leads up to that password, if that makes sense. Yep. And and you see the um, uh, the Gospel of Thomas. We we also see uh, a lot of language about kind of reconciling opposites, right? You're you're going mm -hmm. to you're going to fuse male and female. Is is standing and resting um, uh, in any. Anybody chime in, but is that is that a kind of a kind of a hint to reconcile opposites? Because uh, is that because you because you're kind of taking an action, right? You're standing up, and then you're supposed to rest. Only when you rest, you sit down or you lay, right? Is that what? So it's just, it's, is that what that word means here, though? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know Coptic, so I'm not entirely sure how why the the translations were chosen. But uh, do does it mean stand at rest, as in stand on your own two feet, or does it mean stand at rest, as in just don't move? Well, I mean, I know you can in the military, you know, somebody will be standing at attention, but then they can be at ease. Um, Bishop Canterbury can maybe tell us a little bit more about that, but I think that there's different ways of standing in the military depending on the circumstances. I don't know that this is the case, but this may be what this is referring to. Well, that's not. Yeah, no, I'm, but like I'm looking over at my my teacup over here, and my teacup can be said to be standing at rest because it's not moving. Well, it's also a teacup. No, I know. But that's what I'm saying. That's, so that's why I'm saying, is that what the word stand means in this context? Is it stand as referring to the verb that a person does? Yeah. Or is it stand as in something can be standing at rest or standing water or that kind of thing? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. why I ask because uh, I don't know what the Coptic is and I don't think any of us do either. But Well, I'm interested because the person who says the stand at rest is Leighton. Uh, Bentley Layton, who I happen to like, but I find he, I like his translations a lot. They can be a little different uh, to read sometimes, mm -hmm. um, and so it'd be interesting in finding out why he put "and they will stand at rest" in there by being one and the same. Yeah, because what's interesting uh, that you mentioned Layton is that Layton seems to be the one that does use the "at rest." Right, um, and that makes in his sense, translation you know, more than any. I it's mean, it's probably uh, the same word, and he translates it the same way, or, right. or, or phrase, or whatever. He translates the same way every time. Yeah, you know, just looking back at the Gospel of Thomas, uh, verse sixteen. You know, at the end of that verse, and they will stand at rest, being solitaires, um, where the Dorsey translation is back to the, being the lifted up, and they will be lifted up, being solitaires. So, you know, Dorsey mm -hmm. seems to take that word and takes it as lifted up. Leighton tends to take it as standing at rest. So, kind of interesting little side note there. Uh, a lot depends That's why upon it's the translator. It's important to look at different translations, folks. Absolutely. Right. If it were uh, if it were an exact science, there wouldn't be any debate about it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is important, and uh, as I remind everybody here, uh, www.earlychristianwritings.com is your friend. Um, particularly the Gospel of Thomas section, the guy who puts this wonderful site together uh, actually you know parses out different translations, um, which is wonderfully useful and in these studies. Coptic. And puts the yes. Coptic, and puts parallels, and puts mm -hmm. scholarly quotes, and even invites visitors to throw in their own ideas. Mm -hmm. um, which, which are is, always interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're always interesting, not always useful, but they're always <laughs> interesting. Um, but seriously, there's some really great stuff here, and, and uh, I encourage our listeners to check this that resource out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if anybody does read Coptic, uh, please chime in in the comments. Uh, <laughs> yeah, please <laughs> do. <laughs> yeah, on our Facebook page, please let us yeah. know. Yes, absolutely. Now, one of the things that I'm interested in, um, Brother Jonathan and I had a discussion a couple of weeks back after our show on uh, Gnosticism in comic books. We got got to talking. We realized I had discussed during the show a very moving comic book series, Batman Gothic, and um, that it was something that had a real impact on me even before I, I discovered Gnosticism. And Jonathan pointed out that the the author of that was Grant Morrison, somebody who we discussed a lot in you know during the show, uh, who is a, a, a ceremonial magician, I believe, and, and an esotericist. And um, he said, to, you know, John, brother Jonathan, I hope you don't mind my saying this, brother, but you know, you you mentioned that. For a lot of us, this seems to be a pattern that there's something, you know, early on, even before we get to uh, at the point where we call ourselves Gnostics, that there was already already something there that was kind of prepping us for that path. And when I'm looking at this passage, one of the things that I've brought up is that we don't know why Jesus is doing the choosing. We don't know what, what qualities a person has or doesn't have for this for this choice. So I'm interested in, in kind of discussing. In your own paths, gentlemen, did you find that there were certain things that prepped you that may have made, you know, prepared you for for choice or for at the very least for um, becoming a Gnostic? That's a very interesting question. I've never really thought about that. I, I think it's, um, well, it's, uh, I always worry because we're, we're pattern-finding animals, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, and then we go back and, uh, and we self-select uh, uh, later, you know, stuff that's co- completely coincidental. And, but but at, at the same time, you know, in kind of an existential way, you know, you, you do, you make an existential choice about what has meaning and what doesn't. Uh, um, and, uh, so I, I do look back and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, I just, I picked up a Philip K. Dick book when I was 12 at a yard sale, you know, and then it always stuck with me. So I tracked down Nag Hammadi and then I, uh, Googled Martinism one day and found a, uh, found a, um, a podcast with Father Tony from the AJC. And I'm like, well, what's the AJC? So I Googled that and now I'm here. And when I go back and look at it, it really does look like a trail of breadcrumbs. Um, but of course... <laughs> You know, am I, is, is that, uh, 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 um, it does, it does feel that way for sure. It does, it does feel like, like a, a trail of breadcrumbs laid out for me. And I suspect a trail of breadcrumbs is out there for, for everybody in the universe. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad you I, I don't know. I'm glad you mentioned Philip K. Dick because when you asked that question, that was immediately what I thought of that, um, those, you know, these seeds of, of the idea being scattered throughout the world for people to find. And I like Philip K. Dick's symbol for that the the homoplasmate you know that when the the jar the nag hammadi library when the jars were broken and the the text taken out this golden dust came up out of the out of the uh, the jars which was probably bits of rotting papyrus but it mm-hmm. kind of, you know the way that he describes it it's like uh, you know golden sparks shooting up into the air and spreading over the whole of the earth and that is that was that trapped homoplasmate that uh, that lived in the in that jar in those jars and that is what seeded the world with 
the you know the desire for gnosis right mm-hmm. and and it shows up in popular culture and it shows up in literature and it shows up in this and that and the other thing because of those little golden sparks that shot up from the from the jars and i always like that symbol yeah yeah i as i seem to recall it was the people it was the guys who discovered the jars that reported the golden sparks yeah yeah it wasn't just philip k dick no no right yeah it was this is what they what the gentleman actually said i i think he might have embellished as as writers <laughs> want to do yeah. but yeah well i no, i seem to recall I want to say it was a video course taught by Bart Ehrman, uh, who described, who told the story himself. And he, I, I want to say, and I can double check, that he did report that the men who discovered the Nag Hammadi uh, manuscripts scripts, did report the gold dust. Mm-hmm. Now, it's believed by people that it was actually just the papy- rotting papyrus. Um, but that was that wasn't just Philip K. Dick. That was a, I believe, a report from the men who actually did the discovery. Mm-hmm. Made the discovery. Yeah. But to answer your actual question, I I don't know. Um, you know, I've I've told my story on the on the show before, and yeah. and it's, you know, I I started looking into Gnosticism specifically under that word after reading the Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm, okay. I, so I don't know. I, I, I actually couldn't. I, I've been thinking I can't think of something that's earlier than that that might have led me specifically to Gnosticism. And so I <laughs> I don't know. But I bet there's something, you know? You know, the thing that's interesting to me, you know, and again, as, as Brother Jonathan notes, there is a real danger because we are pattern finding animals and we can find patterns. Even where there isn't, where one has not been actually imposed, but I think back to being a little girl. And this is kind of strange, but as a little girl, I was fascinated with pe- giving people communion. Um, I remember as a Lutheran, I saw people taking the once a month communion, and I was fascinated by it. You know, this Jesus cookie went into their mouth and it disappeared, and it, you know. But I remember as a little girl serving communion, actually like, you know, having church services and actually serving communion, which you think about it, it's kind of an unusual thing for a girl to be doing in 1974. Uh Um, I don't know how common it is with boys, but for me, you know, I was a little girl and I, I would try to flatten out Wonder Bread. That didn't work so well. Then once my mother (laughs) made strudel and she had these slivered almonds that were just the right thickness, but they weren't big enough, but I tried with the slivered almonds which apparently is a Sethian thing. I guess they were into almonds as being sacred. Them or the Ophites, I don't remember. But so I did that, and I had a very strong interest in the occult. And, and you know, it kind of progressed even into my 30s when I took a job um, that would seemingly have nothing to do with my background or skills. But the things that I learned, the skills, both the skills and the mentality that I learned in that job were the perfect preparation for entering the serious study of Gurdjieff's fourth way, which I do consider to be a form of Gnosticism. So, if you know, I don't know if this, I don't know if I consciously chose these things to prepare myself. I'm not entirely sure, but there were certainly a number of elements that prepared me for this. Um, ultimately, was it a matter of my choice or not? Well, that remains to be seen. You know what I did when I was a kid? There was always 
and and the the psychotherapists in the audience who are listening will probably want me to call them after I, I tell this story. But um, I I've always you know even my some of my very earliest memories are were just the thinking that the world that I could see was fake. You know what I mean? Okay. That I'm looking around and I'm going about my business, but always thinking that you know. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm walking down the street, but I'm not really walking down this street. I'm actually uh, in a different place in a different time that there's not in a kind of very Philip K. Dickian mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a sense that, you know, that the, the world's exi- coexisting, you know, at, at 1975 and, and the Roman Empire coexisting at the same time. And I always, I, I, I remember very specifically, from the, you know, some of my earliest memories just having that feeling that. This world that I'm experiencing is less real and should be replaced. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So if, if you're a psychotherapist, leave your number. <laughs> and, uh... Well, I, I think that's what an example of that of that 2 a.m. moment that, that, that I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. And there is, you know, that that and uh, um, you know, luckily, luckily enough, us and and now the listeners and many other people uh, kind of have uh, something to to deal with that with that dread, uh, that 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 flickering awareness that there's something wrong uh, with the world, or even you know, even mainstream Christianity, uh, mainline Christianity says that there's something wrong with the world because of the fall. But yeah. Gnosticism kind of brings it up a notch and says, well, actually, there's a crack in the entire universe, it's not, not just this well, world. I think, you know, for some of us when we were children, um, I can remember a few times where my parents did things that made absolutely no sense. And in a sense, they, you know, it cultivated a certain distrust on my part for any form of authority. And, um, you know, so, I mean, I, mean, it's not, I, never, I didn't have the notion of the world is fake that Father Tony did, but I did have a sense that rules and, st- and structures, social structures, didn't always, weren't making sense. Um, when my parents would tell me never to smoke, but would smoke cigarette after cigarette in front of me, mm-hmm. um, there was a disconnect there. Um, one of the more absurd disconnects was when my mother bought an oriental carpet and hung it on the wall <laughs> and told me that, and when I wondered why a carpet was on the wall instead of on the floor where a carpet ought to be, she said, well, it's because I don't want anybody putting, you know, walking on it. And again, it was just one of those really weird things that is a cognitive dissonance that caused a shift in my ability to trust what my parents were saying. Now, it's, it's, you know, I was a little kid, and that's the way we, you know, we, don't, we, we think very black and white. But just going back now and thinking about these things, um, for me, it was not so much of a, a lack of trust in uh, the world around me or that there of, of existence, but it was a lack of trust in authority that I think caused me to question a lot of things as a, as, as a child. Mm-hmm. Why I did look into Elaine Pagels when I was, you know, 11 or 12, looked into witchcraft because something, something about what I was being taught didn't jibe. Yeah. Definitely. So. I had one other topic. Um, we're we're coming up towards the end of our hour here, but I wanted to ask people, um, what is your feeling on predestination, determinism, fate, all that kind of stuff, and how that relates to this passage? <sighs> the 
The problem that I have with the way that a lot of Christians um, understand predestination is that God demonstrates God's holiness and sovereignty by condemning some people to eternal torment and other people to uh, a life in, in life in God's kingdom. Um, this sounds like a psychopath to me. Um, I'm going to show you who's boss, and I'm going to arbitrarily, you know, uh, torture some people for all of, for you know, for all of eternity. But I'm going to, you know, keep my handpicked folks close. Um, so I, I think I find that that notion to be very disturbing. Um, that said, again, when you're looking at at, at, a, at a conventional Christian approach, the notion of Arminianism, the the idea that people can choose to re resist grace, they can choose to persevere, um, I think has its own problems because some people people are not born equal. They're not born into equal situations, and that a person who has been raised from childhood with discipline and love is going to be far have a far easier time persevering in a discipled path than a person who hasn't had those benefits. Um, so I don't find either one to be terribly compelling, but then again, I'm not an Orthodox Christian. Um, so I, I tend to be of the opinion, I, I don't know that I think that the categories are terribly rigid or, or all that rigid, but I think that... Um, there are pe people may be born with certain sensitivities that may be shut down or activated uh, culturally, socially, through life experiences and whatnot that may make them more sensitive to the to, to the call or to the idea of a deeper reality, which they may then pursue. Um, that's as far as I can, as I can really go with that. Is that there may be some things that people are born with that can make them more sensitive, but it's it's no sure thing. Hmm. Bishop Canary, yeah. you've been quiet a while. Yeah, I've been quite a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, predestiny. I think that uh, I think that's a, a complete you know another topic for for another show. But um, that being said. Um, I, I think that there is a certain amount of, I don't know if I want to use the word predestiny, but there is, uh, you know, uh, maybe sound like Darth Vader talking to Luke, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, this is your destiny, son. I mean, um, you know, I think there is a certain amount of destiny, you know, some may call it, uh, you know, true will, finding that true will, finding that uh, point of God within oneself. But I don't, Again, I'm going to go away from kind of this elitist. I think it is that that unsummed uh, potentiality that is kind of latent within all. Um, um, I think that there is a destiny um, for for everyone, but I don't know if everyone necessarily finds what that destiny is, you know, um, and it may take one a lifetime to figure it out. It may take one multiple lifetimes to figure out. Um, but I think there is a destiny for, for all that's out there. Yeah. And, uh, 
Oh, sorry. I, I actually kind of uh, think on similar lines to uh, to Bishop Canterbury, where um, you know, you know, the ancient Gnostics uh, uh, were very critical of pre predestination and faith, right? And they they thought that uh, getting to the Gnostic stage uh, actually freed you from faith in some mysterious mm-hmm. way. Yep. So so I always keep that in mind when I come across a passage like this and then going back to uh, to what Bishop Canterbury was saying, you know, sometimes the obvious the obvious meanings and the obvious layers you have to dissect it a little bit. Uh, and also just what he was saying, you know, I, I'm uncomfortable with with this idea of, of fate or destiny, but kinda I do believe that that there is everybody has a potential uh, a mysterious access to the divine spark to to enlightenment this undercurrent and everybody can join everybody has the potential to lead a a better life you know a life that uh that is more in line with with the pleroma uh in, in a way you know accepting that 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 true will uh encountering that uh, uh leads for for a better life uh does that make sense so it's not it's not that everybody that everybody is as uh has fate or destiny but uh everybody does have that that potential to uh to reach into that that current uh which would you know give them a uh, a better better existence Okay. Well, let's close it there. I think that's mm-hmm. good. We're at, we're at our hour right now. So uh, thank you for a uh, terrific conversation today. Thank you. Yeah, I think it was yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, I was, I was worried that this, uh, that this passage was too short. But, uh, but, but I know. Apparently not. Small but mighty. <laughs> and uh, remind the listeners uh, what we got coming up next week. Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, we have uh, we have Lodro uh, Lodro uh, Rinsler. He's going to be talking about the, the power of meditation and uh, you know meditation in daily life. Uh, it's a I think particular interest to to Gnostics and uh, those looking to to further themselves in contemplation. But uh, kind of his um, his deal is is that you know meditation is is for everyone. So we can uh, we can talk about it in in relation to our our particular brand of spirituality and we can hear and talk a little, little bit about uh, even those people who, who will never become Gnostics may uh, may benefit from uh, more contemplative life. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. All righty. Well then, for everybody listening along at home, we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Good night, everyone. Bye. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License, and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.